I'm Laura Palmer, host of Island Crime. Season six, Sweethearts, is the story of three teenage girls who were all murdered in Victoria, Canada within about 12 months. So she was scared, something out there scared her. You've just created the playground where predators can really thrive. She was a 16-year-old girl. She was a sweetheart. Listen to Sweethearts at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get podcasts. Find your frequency. We might hope that after November 3rd, whatever madness is going on in the United States will evaporate like a fog. But I also think we have to admit that's probably not going to happen. It's a rigged election. It's the only way we're going to lose. Are you suggesting that you might not accept the results of the election? I have to say, no, I'm not going to just say yes. I'm not going to say no. And I didn't last time either. If there's one thing that we've learned about Donald Trump after four years of his administration, it's that he's not likely to accept a result that doesn't favor him. And while Trump's approach might be the one that trends toward a dictatorship, it's not just his side that sees the other as illegitimate. America, as we've discussed before, is on the brink of something bad. We don't know what form it will take. We don't know just how bad it will be or how long it will last. But we do know that we can't escape the impact by sitting up here above the USA and pretending nothing's happening. Well, I think uh, we're certainly all uh, hoping uh, for a smooth transition or a, a clear result from the election, like many people are around the world. Uh, if it is less clear, there may be some disruptions, and we need to be ready for any outcomes. So what is our own government doing to prepare for political chaos in America? What should they be doing? How much of an impact can we really have if we want to try to help our closest friend and neighbor weather whatever storm it's going to face? And more importantly, for our purposes anyway, what do various scenarios around the American election mean for life in Canada after it? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Balkan Devlin is a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute, and he is also a super forecaster for Good Judgment Incorporated, a geopolitical forecasting consultancy based in New York. Balkan, that is quite a title. <laughs> it's not something we uh, gave to ourselves. It is basically what um, IARPA, uh, United States um, Intelligence uh, Advanced Research Projects Agency, had a competition, and then we end up having on the top uh, top of that, and then they start calling us that. So that's how we came about. <laughs> and then they have a commercial spin-off, which is the Good Judgment Incorporated. Ah, well, I, I wondered when I was uh, writing down your introduction if there was a story behind that term, and I'm so glad I asked. Why don't we start then um, with me just asking you, uh, based on what you're seeing, um, how's it going in America right now with less than a month before the election, uh, better or worse uh, than you would have predicted? I think it is going like a lot of people start to see at least, say, um, April, May, uh, not even before, uh, that uh, a political storm is coming up. And you know, it's, it's, it's watching a train wreck uh, in slow motion, I think. And, and a lot of focus has been on the contested nature, um, most likely, uh, of the election results. And the, the Trump administration um, has been making the case uh, from 
day one uh, that, you know, this will be a rigged election, all that kind of thing, because of the mail-in votes and makes it quite clear that they will contest the results if they don't like what is coming out there. Um, and with the, you know, coronavirus uh, pandemic going on and all the deadlock in the in the congress and and elsewhere um i think uh, the the, the pa- you know passions are, are are running high um i you know of course there is a chance that these would sort of die out and 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 then a, a huge sort of blowout um you know landslide uh, victory for biden and everyone is is basically you know conceding but you know i see that very very low uh, probability uh, on the on the Republican side uh, accepting accepting such a such a concern. Um, we should. That's why I believe we should really you know steel ourselves into a, a political uh, turmoil uh, that could last um, several months. When you say a political storm is coming, um, it's a colorful phrase. What does that look like to you? It could take uh, different shapes. A lot of focus has been on the media and elsewhere um, on whether this will be a contested election, whether, you know, it will end up in the court, would it go to, you know, uh, Supreme Court, would there be different, um, you know, electoral college uh, or electorals, in essence, selected by the states, by rival uh, groups, uh, all that kind of thing. Uh, and that is one concern, you know, this, that this, the, this will drag out, that we will not know the, uh, the the results of the election after say several weeks or or into into early December, and that's one uh, one way things can go wrong. But there are other ways in which uh, things can go wrong, and mm-hmm. I think those deserve uh, the same level of uh, attention. And uh, I I I call one of them as the chaotic transition, and the other one as as the delegitimized uh, presidency. So start with the chaotic transition, then. Sure. Um, so I believe, um, you know, when you look at sort of the, the the polling numbers, the betting markets, we also, um, in in good judgment, uh, have been forecasting the election results. I think sort of the uh, the consensus opinion there, or the average um, opinion there, is about seventy eight percent for Biden and about twenty two percent for uh, for Trump. So there is, a, you know. High likelihood that that Biden would win, and there is also a, a possibility, perhaps around five percent, five to seven percent, that it will be a landslide win. That it is so overwhelming that the, the contestation uh, will not uh, or could not last long. Uh, but that will not stop uh, an outgoing uh, Trump administration uh, to make it extremely hard and, and and problematic for the incoming Biden administration uh, to get a handle on things. So what I mean by chaotic transition is is that process until you know January twentieth, the Trump administration basically wrecking havoc, uh, issuing pardons left and right, uh, might you know engage in um, you know foreign adventures. Um, to 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 distract and create a lot of problems uh, for the incoming Biden administration, uh, ways in which they could uh, try to ramp through uh, executive actions. Uh, if they end up losing the Senate uh, before the new senators, uh, you know, manage to sit, uh, ramming through other legislation and all that kind of stuff. Basically, uh, a last ditch attempt to both uh, create immunity, if possible, uh, for for some of the administration uh, personnel, uh, including Trump and his family, uh, but also 
um, uh, trying to create so many fires that when the Biden administration come, uh, they will have to put a lot of things and would have limited bandwidth uh, to go after uh, after the Trump administration. Right. And I'm really concerned about the uh, the foreign adventures component as well. And this this is partly the spite uh, issue. You know, I would. <laughs> it, it's very hard for me to uh, envision uh, Trump having a very you know calm, orderly transition after losing that way. And you know, we all know that he hates to be a loser. Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> that's I'm very concerned about too. So he can he can lash out uh, left and right. And that's a, that's, a, that's a major concern. And what about the third scenario? The third scenario, uh, when you look at the numbers again, people think, yes, Biden would win. But you know, uh, even the polling numbers uh, would have a 20 to 25 percent, uh, you know, quite a legitimate way of um, uh, Trump winning the Electoral College and, and be, be the president. Uh, but given the polarized nature uh, of American politics today, I would find it extremely unlikely that the, the the majority of Democrats, and particularly a very a vocal, um, you know, more left uh, wing uh, of the party, would accept that result as as legitimate. They already do not perceive um, Trump as a as a legitimate president. Um, and, you know, we, we had all those uh, you know, marches and, and whatnot when he was first elected. And imagine those, but 10 times more. And, you know, with the pandemic, with the whole pent up, uh, you know, sort of frustration with the Black Lives Matter uh, protests, all of this coming. And there was this, at least for the, for the Democrats, there is this ray of hope that in November things would change and, and Trump administration would go. And if that hope is also crashed, I would not, um, I cannot imagine that people would go like, oh, okay, well, four more years, fine. Right. Um, so they would go on mass protests and outside. And Trump would react quite harshly as an attempt to see that as an attempt to sort of steal the presidency from him and uh, would might engage with the military, you know, invoke Insurrection Act, et cetera, et cetera. Can you imagine 100, 150 cities having mass demonstrations and sending Homeland Security people there, um, you know, federal troops, uh, National Guard, uh, and, and a continuous, you know, days and days and days of, of riots and protests, and a, and a significant portion of the public not accepting Trump as a legitimate president, and he'll be there for four more years. Uh, there might be an, another impeachment uh, process and all that kind of thing. So it's very, very problematic. There are multiple ways to to chaos and, and only a very narrow road uh, for things to work out um, perfectly well and that, that, that won't be much, uh, much of a distraction. And the reason we're talking to you about it is because um, after you laid out these three scenarios, you began looking at what the impact on Canada would be and how we can prepare for it. So, I mean, I guess my first question is, do we know um, if or what our government is doing right now to prepare for these kind of scenarios, which I have to imagine even five years ago wouldn't have been something they would comprehend regarding America? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, the, the very fact that we have to you know, talk about even, a, you know, for example, a couple percent possibility of uh, you know, different uh, law enforcement agencies choosing different sides with competing claims to presidency is, is crazy. You know, if you think about right. it, um, well, I, I'm not I'm not privy to uh, to what the what the government um, is doing, but I believe, and that's that's the responsible thing to do, uh, that they 
that they, they must be thinking about it and at least running a certain set of scenarios to see uh, where all the where are the you know major vulnerabilities are where they need to be focusing on the problem is is that we are also going through a pandemic an economic downturn uh, a minority government mm-hmm. um, i i don't know how much the the top policymakers have uh, bandwidth uh, to pay attention to and 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 my 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 fear um, is that they were just hoping for the best. Biden would get elected. There might be a few weeks of of contestation, but then everyone would would concede, and we will move on. Uh, let's you know cross our fingers and all for that. And that's not a strategy. <laughs> you know, hope is hope <laughs> yeah. is not a strategy. And I hope again, you know, part of it is that if even if you are preparing for it, you don't necessarily want to make that public. You don't want to go um, you know publicly right. and say, well, you know, our biggest uh, trading partner and, and neighbor down there, uh, they might go, uh, you know, uh, down south quite quite badly, so we're preparing for it. That's not that's not politically um, astute to do so. But I'm hoping that they are preparing for it. In terms of affecting what is going on there, we don't have much um, leverage uh, in, in dom- American domestic politics. Right. Uh, all we can do is brace for impact. And, and and one way of doing it is to game out and, and do a lot of scenarios and simulations to, to see what is going on. Because uh, there are multiple levels of of concerns there, um, you know, provincial concerns, you know, municipal concerns, border, economic issues, more security, broadly security-related issues. So you need to be able to deal with at different levels, depending on which uh, level of government uh, we are talking about. Identify what are what are the vulnerabilities. You know, to what extent you can have insurance uh, against against this this, this uh, chaos uh, coming up and figure out which policy responses would be would be reasonable and and there are you know uh, shops within the government from you know police horizons to the in in-house shops in, in DND and, and GAC and other places that engages in such scenario planning activities so that's one way to to, to do uh, we should be doing and we should also be reaching out to other allies, uh, you know, discreetly, uh, for sure, uh, but to, to talk with uh, with the Brits, to talk with the Germans and others. Do you think they're uh, as concerned as as we need to be right now? Uh, we are. We probably should be concerned more, given where we are located. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm pretty sure they are um, concerned. I mean, they saw what uh, a four year of uh, lack of American sort of leadership and and a president that is not interested in. Um, you know, maintaining alliances uh, look like, you know, despite whatever they think about American government or, or, or Trump administration, uh, what is worse than that is a complete, you know, chaos uh, uh, within the, uh, you know, within the United States. You don't want your your major um, ally to be in in such a state. So I think they should be concerned. And if they are not, maybe we should prod them and say, you know. You guys, maybe you should be paying attention. I'm Laura Palmer, host of Island Crime. Season six, Sweethearts, is the story of three teenage girls who were all murdered in Victoria, Canada within about 12 months. So she was scared. Something out there scared her. You just created the playground where predators can really thrive. She was a 16-year-old girl. She was a sweetheart. Listen to Sweethearts at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get podcasts. Find your frequency. One of the things you mentioned is that Canada should be, you know, wargaming out these scenarios and and planning for uh, what could happen. I totally understand the concept of war games for, you know, military exercises or big geopolitical shifts. But what 
What would it actually look like to plan for one of those scenarios on the ground uh, if you're if you're in that planning group in government? What are you actually doing? War games, maybe just to take a little step back, uh, could have different levels. So you can have a tactical operational level um, gaming that looks at the nuts and bolts. Say, uh, you know, okay, we are going to do something with the border. Let's bring in uh, people, uh, you know, municipal, municipalities and mayors uh, of cities at the border. We, let's bring in the relevant federal agencies and the provincial agencies and give them a scenario, say that this X happened. There is a contestation. There is a surge in, in illegal crossings and a disruption of trade because, you know, X, Y, and Z. How do we do? What do we do? And then you assign people to different roles. You assign people to, say, play the refugees or play, you know, American officials that want to, say, you know, block the border, you know, and other things. And then you try to figure out. Uh, most of these games have a limited set of rules. The idea is the idea generation. The idea is to make it open so that people uh, can try to think ways of seeing stuff that they didn't think before, right? Um, at the strategic level, you can have a, a, a bigger uh, game and, and, and talk about a scenario in which, for example, um, there are competing claims uh, to the presidency. And so what would um, you know, our, our liaisons in, in NORAD should do? How we should do the military-to-military -military contact? You have two incoming different orders from two uh, presidents-elect uh, what do you do? How do you respond? How would GAC respond? Who would we recognize as 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 the legitimate president? What should be the principles and and the criteria we will be setting in? How should we reach out? And you do that by playing these various roles with a lot of input and try to figure out how things could unfold um, and see whether uh, all of your scenarios end in in in, in a bad way or whether there are ways in which you can minimize uh, the impact and, and uh, try to get out of this with as little uh, damage as, as possible. If you're going to do that at a very high level, or you're going to do um, a lot of them, as you, I, I'm, I'm imagining you need to do because there are a ton of scenarios here to play with, what happens if the word on that gets out? You kind of touched on it earlier that uh, you probably don't want to send the message that we're like planning for... Trump to seize power or, or any of these other scenarios? Um, and can you can you involve that many people without this becoming public knowledge? Well, that's, of course, that's a bit tricky, but there are ways in which you could, um, you know, camouflage it, let me put it that way. Uh, it doesn't have to be, I mean, a lot of the wargaming things are done with, in some cases, fictional scenarios, um, in some cases, real scenarios. Um, so you could actually have, first you can have classified games naturally, and especially if you're doing it at the, at the um, higher level, you wouldn't need, you know, this, these are not mega games where you have 20, 30, 40 people. Um, you can, you know, have small games repeated a lot with five, six or seven players. Uh, and that's, you know, as a small enough group to, to prevent leaks if need be. Um, and that can be done. And you don't need to have, you know, 25 of them. You can have five or six high-level games um, with a very select number of people in a confidential setting, and that will give you the you know, broader uh, outlines of what you want to do. But another way is, is, as I said, is to camouflage it with something else. For example, uh, Pentagon um, did and continue to do uh, games about a zombie outbreak in the United States, for example. 
Well, one of the reasons, <laughs> one of the reasons is not because, you know, zombies would suddenly come up, but it is a very good stand-in for any kind of domestic uh, disturbance, um, uh, civil unrest, uh, mm. and, 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 and relevant, relevant things. By law, Pentagon is not supposed to, uh, you know, the, the military is not supposed to engage in, 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 in domestic, you know, uh, uh, enforcement action and, and, and whatnot. But, you know, if we are talking about zombies, we're talking about fiction. Right. So we could, we could do that. That's um, fascinating. So here in Canada, too, I mean, there is a very active, lively um, wargaming community. Uh, Rex Brynan uh, from McGill University is one of the sort of leading experts on this. And he he, he ran a several um, uh, mega games called um, Apocalypse North, for example, is one of them. And that included several people from Public Safety Canada and, and, and other places. You know, zombie outbreak in the United States. They tried to cross the border. What do we do? That's a stand-in for a lot of things. And 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 then playing those out um, give a lot of uh, you know useful analytical information on what are your vulnerabilities are how the politics of crisis management works different levels of government in terms of communication this and that and and so on and so forth so those are very very useful uh, things that have that are being done in Canada in, in different different formats and there is uh, in that sense a reservoir of, of talent and experience um, in that and then we should be perhaps using it. You touched on it a little bit earlier, but um, can you give me a sense of how uh, vulnerable Canada is in these scenarios? Like, how badly could uh, this kind of chaos in the U.S. impact us? Well, it, it. I mean, I think there is a quite a clear um, understanding that it will have an impact. You don't want, uh, you know, your your biggest uh, partner to be in turmoil. Um, yes, and I, the the effect I would uh, argue uh, would depend on the level and the duration of uh, of the instability, right? So if we're if we are at the very high level of instability with competing presidential integrations, oh, well, we are um, we're in a very bad, very bad place. Uh, we really need to you know think very broadly about how to protect the border and all that kind of thing at that stage. Um, if if it ends up a few weeks of contestation, and and perhaps a limited chaotic transition because Biden uh, victory is so so large and that everybody is basically jumping ship and 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 you know deserting uh, Trump administration so his his ability to wreak havoc is limited then we could ride it out more more comfortably one of the reasons why I pushed for for gaming and and, and reaching out to others is that we don't know which way things would go you know it's. Um, and and the thing is, the probabilities themselves are not sufficient to guide the policy. We should be concerned about the impact. Yes, there is a very small probability that we would have you know, competing inaugurations and, uh, and and different law enforcement agencies taking different sides, maybe a percent or two. Um, but the impact of that will be huge uh, for Canada. Uh, you basically have a country that is in in at the at the brink of a civil war. Um, we something we could not even even imagine just a few years uh, in the past. So we need to uh, look at both the you know the probability of things happening, but also the impact of things happening. And things can get pretty bad. At at the in the, in the best case scenario, uh, you know we would have to uh, sit a little nervously and hope. Uh, that the contestation would uh, would be short, and and uh, you know the Trump administration would concede, and then 
and then that he would not wreak too much havoc uh, in, in the transition. And that's our best case scenario. Um, so we should think about that. And we should also see what we can do um, to go, to go uh, forward if things get progressively worse over a period of six to nine months. And, and how, how are we going to deal with that? The last thing I want to ask you about is, I guess probably the biggest piece on our chessboard at least, is Prime Minister Trudeau. And, you know, he's a very visible global figure. Um, certainly he can he can lead the conversation in different ways. What do you do with him? Is there any way he could really help or really hurt um, our role in these things? Like, how do you war game out the Prime Minister? Very good question. As I said in the, in, in the piece um, for the Macdonald-Laurier, uh, I think the sort of the biggest challenge would be to resist the temptation to, uh, to pontificate. And um, and Trudeau has a tendency to to make large moral grandstandings, and um, that would be that would be risky. But I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful in the sense uh, that uh, looking at how uh, Justin Trudeau handled Trump in the first couple of years of that relationship um, suggests that uh, he could rein in that, that temptation to, to lecture others uh, and have a very sort of a grand moral standing position. Um, so I think the very fact that, you know, he so far didn't really uh, make any public comments on, on what is going on and how things would go is a good signal. But the biggest risk would be is, is, is the push when, when there is a contested election and, and, and suddenly and, and prematurely uh, Trudeau would go, yes, we recognize Biden and, and we, we support him and we hope this and that, and things turn out not that way. And and, and then sort of our guy loses uh, the competition. Um, that will be the biggest, I would say, uh, uh, challenge uh, to do so. It's a very fine line. You know, he, he will be in a very tight spot to walk a very fine line to, to remain, you know, cautious and prudent without necessarily committing Canada to one side of, of this contestation uh, when it comes. Um, because we basically don't have much leverage to affect things. We would need to live with whoever is, is the winner, whoever comes on top of this. Uh, we might have our preferences, but that's not a reason enough to be able to choose side early. And that's, I think, is the biggest uh, biggest issue. But given his his dealings with Trump before, um, uh, you know, I, th- I think you know uh, Justin Trudeau could um, you know could could rein in his own instinct of uh, of moral standing and and, and virtue signaling. Balkan, thank you so much uh, for walking us through this. I, I honestly hope that it's all useless, but I suspect that it will not be. So thank you very much. You're welcome. I really enjoy uh, this this chat, and I really hope that in this in this case, my forecast turns out to be wrong. Balkan Devlin, a senior fellow at McDonald Laurier Institute and a super forecaster, though we both hope he's wrong. That was The Big Story. For more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. Write to us with your war games for the American election at TheBigStoryPodcast at rci.rogers.ca. Head to your favorite podcast player, hit subscribe, hit rate, hit review, leave us a good one. Claire Broussard, Stephanie Phillips, and Ryan Clark produce this show. 
Annalisa Nielsen handles everything else behind the curtain. Jennifer Gay is our audience lead. She's answering your emails. She's reading your tweets. I'm peeking over her shoulder because I can't help myself. And that's the team. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Thanks for listening. Have a great Thanksgiving weekend, as great as it can be when you stay in your home and don't go out and spread COVID-19. If I can't go out, neither can you. You don't get to have fun if I can't. We'll talk Tuesday. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now.